Welcome to Hollywood 2.0, this is Peter Katz. On today's show we have Benji Rogers. He's a musician and founder and CEO of Pledge Music, a global direct-to-fan funding platform for fellow musicians to record and tour. Big bands such as Alien Ant Farm and Ben Folds 5 have had projects successfully launched on the site. And I toured and made albums for around uh, you know, hundreds of years, let's just say. And um, I was lying in bed one night uh, in an, on an air mattress in my um, uh, mom's spare room. And um, suddenly I had the idea that, wow, artists, fans, charities. And the concept of pledge just really popped into my head. And it was that there were, there were crowdfunding sites that existed. But really what I wanted to do was something different, which is where you would say, pledge here to be a part of the making of my new album. And from day one, you get access to a special part of the site that has rough mixes, live tracks, demos, video blogs, you know, that kind of thing. And then a part of the profits could be given to a charity of the artist's choice. And so I had the idea. It seemed like a good idea. And um, uh, I set up to build a company. And I didn't really know how that was going to work. But um, I've, I've, I was able to assemble some amazing people. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and it worked really beautifully. So, yeah, it was fantastic. And so you, you initially uh, were a musician and you, so you, so it's kind of interesting because sometimes you hear of startups where someone's talking about an industry that they want to disrupt and be involved, with, but they don't have that, they're not intimately uh, connected to it. So do you see that as an advantage, obviously? You know, um, I, I, it was very much, as I said, I, I'm not a businessman. Uh, I never considered myself. I was, it was like I was a reluctant CEO because someone had to do it and I kept being told by the people that were working with us like you have to do it you have to do it and I was still trying to find a CEO for maybe three four months I think the key was is that you know there's a there's a, um, a chapter in the book rework by Jason Freed which basically says you, you gotta scratch your own itch and I was in a scenario whereby as a musician I'm looking at you know um, the landscape and going how is this gonna work in the future you know how is this gonna be something sustainable and then all of a sudden it was like, well, if I build this thing, it's, it can become sustainable. You can basically create these unbelievable campaigns that offer your fans value to be a part of the process. And then when that's over, you can do another one and that, you know, just offer more value and more of the process. And what fans really want and crave to me are, is connection and is experience and is you know, the things that you get at a show. Why can't that happen all the time? Another thing that always occurred to me was, is, you know, I come from a family in the music business, and when, when, when my family would get sent a demo by a new artist, it was really exciting. It was kind of like, wow, and now I manage an artist, and when she sends me a new track, it's like, oh, I can't wait to listen to this. It's exciting. And what occurred to me was, is why can't the fan have that experience? Why can't that be a part of the entire process? And what we found was by launching Pledge was that fans really did want to spend a lot of money on doing this. They were really intrigued by not just uh, you know the fact that these products were available, but how they came to be. And um, we, did a, we did a study with Nielsen, and um, Nielsen basically identified a huge amount of missed opportunity on the table, like you know $2.6 billion left on the table every year, simply because fans are offered the wrong thing. They're not offered the experience. They're only offered the end result. And if you think about it, social media may have peeled the layers back 
and basically said, if I know you're in the studio, why can't I see that? Why can't I be a part of it? Because otherwise I'm just going to get, you know, the end result, which is show up by a CD. And that's not, seem to, doesn't seem to be what people want. And how much of this was a hypothesis from the get-go of, you know, that there was a uh, real demand in the marketplace? Or was, was there a lot of surprises along the way? Um, I mean... I'd suspected that there was demand, and it, and what was great was four four years later when Nielsen was able to do this big study, all of a sudden that they corroborated it, and that was an, an amazing experience. I think the reality of it was that again it was just scratching your your niche. I knew from hanging out on tour that fans wanted to hang out and drink whiskey after a show. They wanted to you know don't stay in a hotel, come by my place, and then you end up playing covers till five o'clock in the morning, eighties covers of that. And I think really what it was about was that you know. If you know if you can get music for free, how do you convince someone to pay for it? And the answer is you have to give it value. Um, and not to say that music isn't intrinsically value, but the problem is is that it's been devalued by those that put it out. You know, the more it's discounted, the more it's pushed. Like you know, hey, you know, we're, it's all this. You know, uh, if you group on this album, it'll go down in price. Why would you want it to go down in price? It's worth something. It's it's important, vital. And so really what I wanted to do was say, look, you could buy it for free here. You can get it for free here. Or if you buy it, you unlock something that, that makes you a part of that process. That was really the thinking behind it. Yeah, you're bringing people into the community. I always hate when someone goes, you know what? The film industry would do a lot better if they kept bringing down the price. And you go, at what point? You know, it's like if you love a hamburger joint and you like the hamburgers, you're going to give them like, at what point is it just, you're just basically, you're getting it for free. You know what I'm saying? Is that... Exactly. And I, and I think that's the problem is it's almost villainizing the creators versus empowering them and then empowering the fans. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it really was this moment where, where I was like, what do I want? You know, you know, I'll give you an example of it. Ben Folds 5 was one of my favorite artists, and I loved the first Ben Folds 5 album. Like, it really was, like, just, you know, you know important for me. And I wanted Ben on the platform. I was just like, he's the perfect guy for it. And I don't want to just buy his albums. I want to, you know, be a part of the process. It took a while, but when Ben finally launched his campaign, I got the experience I'd always wanted, which was to watch him with his iPhone in the studio going, hey, it's Ben, here's a lyric sheet I wrote in the, in the parking lot, this is a tape machine, you know, we're going to be mixing here till quarter to one, we don't know what, he was telling the story, and what he wasn't saying was buy my record, what he was saying was, is, here's how you can be a part of this thing, and what was amazing was, I really realized that, like, wow, this, this works. And our, our intention wasn't really to build a crowdfunding campaign so much as a way of releasing music, a way of involving fans in it. There is an element of crowdfunding or crowdsourced funding, but the reality of it is that you know, very few of our campaigns ever say, please give me money and then I will go do something. What most of them say is be a part of what I'm doing and come along for the ride. And people pay for it and that's their pre-order. And how has the traditional music industry responded to your business? Um, you know, ironically enough, quite well, and also with a kind of scratching of the head, not really sure what's going on. Um, one of the interesting things is, is that, you know, we've run campaigns now with, um, with all three major labels. Uh, it sounds odd. I'm used to being four major labels, and I was only three. Um, and... There's challenges to it because you're dealing with, you know, bureaucracies and, and, and businesses. But the reality of it is is that these labels are full of unbelievably passionate and creative people 
who've never really had a tool like Pledge to play with. And if you give it to them, they apply that same genius part of their brains that makes great marketing campaigns to the deployment of a Pledge campaign. They just have a bigger tool set. So a lot of people at labels really want to use it. It's about convincing the uppers, the people above them at the label that this is a good idea. And so one of our, you know, big things is we have to build in chart eligibility. We have to build in the ability to, you know, fulfill things directly um, because fulfillment is a huge part of the problem. Uh, you know, crowdfunding platforms are notorious. No, no, that's the wrong word. What crowdfunding platforms do is they basically said it's the artist's responsibility to fulfill, and I totally get that. But at the same time, the artist has to have the tools to be able to fulfill, and the artist has to have, you know, a working system that that you know a fulfillment house can plug into to get CDs shipped, you know. And I um, we always felt that that was part of our job was to to deliver that. So the traditional industry has basically said, you know, it's great if you can solve our problem, but we're in the business of selling albums, and what we're trying to do is basically convey to them that you can do both. One does not take away from the other. Ben Folds 5 records still entered the Billboard charts at number 10, still had the number one on iTunes, and it just had this social layer beforehand that Ben's fans were able to come along for for the ride. So you're working in tandem, uh, potentially, versus working against each other. Correct. And it was one of those things where by, when we started the, the company, a very smart manager that helped, you know, really mentored me through the process, when I said to him, what do you think labels will make of this? He said, the smart ones will use the system, the really smart ones will buy it. And um, uh, you know, whilst, whilst number two is not on the table, number one is what we're actively doing at the moment. Well, you know, you see that with uh, Veronica Mars with uh, Kickstarter. I know I definitely don't want to differentiate, You're not saying yeah. it was crowdfunding, but the closest example was Veronica Mars is a huge IP. It's not some indie filmmaker creating something. But it was actually like these uh, executives decided that they would allow the creator of the show to launch it. But they launched it in corporation that eventually once this movie gets financed, it will go through their distribution channels and marketing. So it's interesting to see, um, you know, the traditional entertainment industry and then these innovative new startups like yourselves kind of work collaborating. Sure. And, you know, one of the things that I think is fascinating about that 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 particular campaign on um, uh on uh, on Kickstarter is is that there was no in, it wasn't to fund anything and a lot of these campaigns aren't to fund anything. Then you got to ask yourself: Are you being true to your original mission, which is to you know fund and create things? I'm not I'm not being negative on it. I'm just saying that like you know I know filmmakers who say yeah we don't need the funding we just do it to get the community, and you know that that can be looked at as either positive or negative thing. On pledge we take a very you know well, not a similar line but 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 our thing is to say that look. Do you want to be a part of something great? If so, pledge on board. And then the, the, the creator of the project's job, the artist, the label, is to then create an experience that matches that. And they've been absolutely amazing at doing so thus far. I see. And um, what is like the application process if I wanted to put music on your uh, site and you know start like a pledge campaign? Is it How elaborate is the process? So basically, it's actually quite simple. Um, when you sign up, you basically say, here's what I'd like to do. And um, we write back to you saying, yep, we think this would be great. Let's move ahead towards um, the making of a project. Or if you need help, we'll, we'll help you with that project. Um, you know, we've got a phone number on the site. You can call the office in New York or London. Um, and someone's there to basically walk you through it. What we will do is, is look at things like if you're offering a signed CD and hand-baked cookies for 10 bucks. 
will point out to you that if you have to ship those to Japan, that's going to cost a lot of money, be a customs issue on and on, so you'll have to charge more for it. And then within the platform, we've also built out a lot of complexity. You can do different sizes and colors of T-shirts mixed with a signed CD personalized to this person with a poster, but only in, you know, um, and you can create bundles and vary things. It's very much like got that, that direct-to-consumer feel in the back end of the platform so that the fans... So, so that the fan sees it very easily on the front end, but it can also get what they want. Um, so that's been, there's a lot under the hood. There's a full email system. There's full social network tracking and integration. Um, it's a pretty hefty animal under there. Now, how much filtering and creation um, goes into you and your team regarding the artists that end up on your site? Sure. So artists that sign up are basically, we, we, we put them through a test of not, not to, to try and weed them out, but to try and get realistically to what's possible for them. What, we, what we'll often see is an artist coming to us saying, we want to raise $50,000, I've got 150 people on my email list, 400 Twitter followers, and 500 Facebook friends. And we'll say, we think that's too much. We're not saying no, we're just saying, look, launch, launch a data capture campaign to get email exchange for a track, Facebook like and share to info. Let's see how that does. And if that really blows it out of the water and you've got this untapped demand, then we should shoot for 50,000. Otherwise, rather than make an album, why not go for an EP for 3000 you know, and see if that makes sense. No one publicly sees how much money is being raised, so it can go to 800, 900, 1,000 percent. That's not a problem. The problem is, is when you've shot for $100,000 publicly on a crowdfunding site and you're nowhere near it. And that's what we're trying to mitigate, is to basically help those, those um, you know, guys and gals going through get the most out of us as a team, which is to say, I actually had a manager who said to me the other day, he's like, you said no to us originally. And I said, we didn't say no. What we said was not now, or do you want to revise what you're going for? And he said, at the time it pissed me off, but now I understand why you're doing it. You're trying to protect us from looking foolish on a platform and publicly. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Because, you know, otherwise, what's my job? What's our job here? Is, is it just to be a, pay, a, a, pay, a, a buy button on a website? No, that, that's not what it is. Our job is to help artists get albums made. And we take that really, really seriously, which is why we're all music business people. Why we're all, you know, we've all worked at labels or managers or, you know, you name it. That's what we're here to do. Now, 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 now specifically, when you assess the amount of money that this uh, band could raise, are you looking purely at the amount of of uh, followers on their social network or is there more to the level to how engaged these uh, followers are and how willing they're to act sure. on demand? So basically, basically the, the, there's, there's a few stages to this. The first thing is, is that we answer all, the primary one we look at is email. And 65% of people discover a campaign via email. So it's a big, big driver. Um, and then, then we look at Facebook and then Twitter. And what we do is we, we run it into the algorithm and it basically comes up with a range. And it'll come up with a range of say between fifteen and you know seventeen thousand dollars, or between thirteen and you know, depending on the variance between the two. Mm -hmm. And then what we'll do is we'll go to the Facebook page and we'll look at the number of interactions. So if it's a really massive Facebook page but with three hundred people on it, you know, then we go, ah, something's a miss there because a lot of times particularly when you're working with more established artists a lot of the um the, the the numbers have been gamed so we're trying to weed out that so that we can know realistically what it is um and also a thing to remember too is, is that pledge, pledge campaigns last a lot longer 
So, um, uh, you know, whereas a crowdfunding campaign ends in 30 or 60 days, once you hit target on pledge, it'll carry on through to release. So that could be five, six months. So just by keeping the campaigns open, you'll raise approximately 37% more than you would if it had ended at the 60-day point. It's uh, interesting. You're uh, fond of a specific space that works along with the traditional entertainment businesses. And also, I think, in a sense, it's not even competing with Indiegogo or Kickstarter. It's almost an entirely new category that's not exactly. really served. Oh, and to be honest with you, the way that I've been defining it lately is you've got crowdfunding on one sense, which is you know deliberately going and asking for money and saying, please give me money and then I will go do something. And that's absolutely fine and valid. And I know the, I know the guys that started and, and gals that started the companies there and they're smart and they're doing it for the right reasons. Then you've got direct-to-consumer, which is buy my stuff from a website uh, and someone ships it to you. Like that's, that's D2C. Uh, and then you've got direct-to-fan, which is what we do. And I really call it direct-to-fan because what it is is the artist is directly giving a story, a narrative, as it's happening to the fan. It can't come through another channel. It's literally artist to fan. They make them on iPhones most of the time. And then, um, and then the fan can choose to buy in the way they're choosing. So I do agree with you there. I think that if we go... One thing is crowdfunding, the other is direct-to-consumer, and the other thing is direct-to-fan, with the understanding that direct-to-fan is the interaction that happens, and that's what the fans are actually buying. If a fan spends $10 on pledge, they're not buying, in one sense, the item. That's free. They're buying the experience that led to the item getting to them, and that's what bonds it to them, and that's why I, call, I define it as direct-to-fan as opposed to direct-to-consumer or, or crowdfunding. Now, with uh, musicians that have like very like a very strong fan base, it doesn't have to be a huge one, but uh, a lot of influence. Is it possible to make a living from pledge music? Um, some would say yes, absolutely. Um, I've seen records that have launched and been profitable, as in now manufacturing and mixing and mastering and recording has all been paid for in six hours. Um, I think that. Um, in conjunction with this and touring and releasing records, it can be very profitable. I think it really can because all of our data indicates that the second and third campaigns are um, do better than the first in every in every way. And we we track on the back end, you know, the rise in social network numbers, and it's pretty consistent, you know. So a lot of labels are using us as a way to release. And from our perspective, as long as the, the, the artist or label delivers an incredible experience to the fans, we're happy with that. And we say, like, there's a lot of people have the misconception. They go, well, how many fans does it take to make a living as a musician? But it's, I think that they have to rephrase the question as, is who are the right fans to have? Or who are the right fans to focus to that could enable that? Because, you know, if you could have a thousand really strong fans that are willing to spend ten dollars a month it's better than like a hundred thousand that just want to listen to your music for free sure and i would really encourage you to check out the nielsen study that was published because because they identified the difference between hardcore fans super fans etc and there was a subs you know the pledgers represent you know a very small sliver of a very dedicated you know fan base um, and so if you get a thousand pleasures behind you you're in really good shape i mean you know the average pleasure spends a thousand dollars a year on music you know, 
Um, the, 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 the average pledger, you know, spends $55 per transaction on pledge. You know, there's massive conversion to multiple campaigns. And really what I think it is, is that, is, is that you know, most people have day jobs that they don't particularly love. And if you can bring something from another world to them at that day job via a pledgers only update, that makes everything better. You know what I mean? It makes the day more bearable. And I know this because, like, you know, I get to see all the pledges on the updates on my particular feed, um, you know, but I follow them all. And so I know for now, example, you know, Alien Ant Farms fans are getting an amazing thing. You know, uh, the guys who've worked on um, uh, the KISS 40th anniversary tribute thing are getting a preview of something. You know, these things are happening in real time. You know, progress on the album, just quick notes and let you, let you know where we are on the album. These are all things that, that make someone whose day isn't so great amazing because they're seeing a world that they would never have normally gotten to see and it doesn't cost the artist anything because they can literally make it from their phone while they're doing it and you've seen the successes and you've seen definitely seen the failures that people weren't really able to uh, galvanize the support what is your advice to have those strong relationships so it's not just a a like on their facebook but it's actually a meaningful connection you have to give them things to do you have to give them things to interact with uh, you know, Facebook is not a broadcasting platform. Um, one of the things, the biggest mistake artists and, and, label, uh, and labels and market, marketing people make is to assume they can broadcast stuff on, on Twitter or Facebook and it will have effect. It's a conversation. And so one of the things that I always say to, to artists that we work with is, what have you given your fans to do today? You know, have you given them something to listen to, something to read, something to think about? What is it that you've done for them other than tell them where your fucking show is or, what, or how much your CD is? You know what I mean? I can't do anything with that information. I'm, I'm aware of it. And I think that what artists and, and particularly labels have to figure out is why should someone get what they can get for free from you? Why? And if you focus on why people should be involved, then what you're doing is, is you're saying your needs are important to me and I want to figure out what those are and I want to offer them to you. If the old way was going to work and people were suddenly going to go, you know what? Let's start buying albums again because they're, they're great, you know, then I don't think we would have a business. But, in, but until that moment happens, the future of, has to be in direct to fan. It, it, there's no way for it to go anywhere else. You know, the record stores are closing. You know, the big box retailers are kind of that last gasp for the mass market and they're not carrying as much music as they used to. Why? Because it's not what people want. You know, you don't. Sell, you know, the, the the people that run those stores are very smart. If they sit there and say, "Right, no one seems to want to buy CDs anymore," they'll cut them. <laughs> it's a very simple thing. And um, so, in the absence of people wanting CDs, you got to ask yourself, "What well, they don't want CDs? We've got these amazing songs. What do they want?" And I and I really believe that the answer is to you know be a part of the process. Because because you uh, you look at various types of uh, musicians and some of them just kill uh, in a live performance. They just know how to interact uh, with the audience. And some just are just like trees on yeah. stage, and they don't really do much. It's almost like the extension of a great uh, live performance, the good stage presence and being able to engage your audience. It's almost like taking that ex physical experience and then putting it in the digital world that and engaging them in a, in a different way. Correct. And, and another way to look at that is, is that, you know, um, the live experience is, is great because it's happening in real time. Everything that basically is delivered by a band after the record's done is happening is not in real time anymore. 
So what you've got is you've got this moment of where, you know, okay, well, that happened already. And, you know, the band is being asked questions about something they recorded six months ago. You know, it's kind of that they've moved on and they're now into rehearsals and whatnot. And whilst they're excited for people to hear it, the concept of this whole, like, we're going to reveal the new album to you. Well, what does that mean? You know, we know you were making it. We, all we know is, is that we just didn't get to be a part of it, you know. And um, I think that's, that's what will really... That's what will really change the game. Is 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 when this um, is this, that when this uh, when this is adopted as the way in which people release music, then everyone's going to win. Now, some musicians are obviously better than others. You know, I had friends who just were great. Like you know, you know, they're just geniuses when it came to playing with the guitar and these metal bands. But they just didn't understand the you know marketing side, engaging with fans. Do you provide, you know, a way to educate, you know, these artists who may not really think that way initially? Yeah. No, that's exactly what I was saying. It's, you know, I was on a panel with, with these crowdfunding artists and they basically kept saying, you know, here's my advice to you if you're thinking of starting a crowdfunding campaign. Do two weeks worth of research, read 500 blogs, um, you know, uh, study other campaigns, look at other um, videos and you can do all that. That's great. But our our team's job is to um, help artists get that done for them because we know you know what will take an artist two hours to research and study and, and look at will take us two minutes because that's that's what our job is and I, I never want it to be just a buy button I never want it to be just a, a place where it's like you know we don't do anything because we know so much it would just be crazy for us not to share it and so you know the the advice I always give to musicians is that, like, interact with us. If you ask us questions, we answer them. And that's really been, you know, a thrill to, 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 to behold. The other thing is, is the platform is designed to get to be worked very easily. Um, but it's also very powerful. It can do a lot of things. And so that's what our team is here to help with. You know, we get questions all the time, you know, oh, you know, I'm running a week late. Can you extend my campaign? Of course we can. Why wouldn't we? That's stupid not to, you know. We're about the making of albums, not the making of targets. You know, that's that's kind of a different psychology. So, yeah, so I think mostly what it is is that, you know, DIY doesn't, can be, can, DIY can exist in the absence of a team. Um, uh, but you can also do DIY with a team. And that's really where I view us is we're not designed to be the size of one of these massive, massive, you know, multi-purpose funding platforms. We're designed to be the size of Pledge Music, at, you know, today and tomorrow will be a bit bigger and the next day will be a bit bigger. But we want to be the company that an artist can come to and that we can solve their, solve their, their questions and concerns. And since there's this connection with the fans that you're, you know, you're helping facilitate have you have you thought of a uh, subscription model uh, for because it seems like each time they are able to draw in the fan to purchase an album or for more expensive experience, there's also the other way people think about go well if you could do it this way you could create that strong relationship. Is there a subscription model that could work along with this style of um, you know relationship? Yeah, I mean it's come up a few times, and one of the things that you get is you get um you get it into a scenario whereby um. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's the, the, the it's the fan club problem, isn't it? Where you've got like we've got 365 days in a year, and we've got people who pay for a fan club, and now we've got to fill it with stuff. I think that that what it would be is, you know, we would have to find a clever way to to, to enact that. I'm not saying that it's impossible. I just think that um, 
Uh, I just think that I haven't seen clearly a way, you know, what we're doing right now is like, it's like hundreds of little, you know, or thousands of little temporary fan clubs. They pop up, they have their moment and they kind of subside. And there's a real organic, natural, beautiful way that that, that, that rolls. And, you know, we're kind of a little nervous to mess with that. No, no, it's understandable because if you, but, but, but I'm open to suggestion as well. Like, you know, if anyone has ideas, tell me, cause you know, if that's something that you as a music fan want, then that's the kind of thing that we would look at. You know, an example of that was is when we first launched, we didn't have any kind of search functionality really, or any kind of, um, like, like you couldn't find other campaigns. It was kind of funny. And that was deliberate because we thought artists want to have this experience with their fan and that's it. But we just got thousands and thousands of pledges saying, please give us recommendations. Please help us search for more music. We want to find more of this experience. And so we turned it on, and now you get recommendations. That's phase one. And then phase two is we're going to kind of take that to another level. So, you know, I'm interested in, in what fans want. You know, I know it's, it's kind of funny. Like a couple of years back, I saw Das Racist perform, a hip-hop group that I'm a fan of. And I think I just I just said you know I just I want to give you some money because you know I listen to your stuff on Groove Shark and I don't know if you get paid more than like a penny or I don't I don't know what the percentage is you know so I could understand if a subscription uh, model was in place where you were put on like a fan board of what kind of level of fan you are like just kind of not like some silly VIP thing but just kind of like in a sense you know like a, a museum has a trust the people help support it I mean musicians in a sense are a whole they. They need a lot of support to be able to operate. So if there was ways that there would be like their some of their bigger supporters in that way aligned with an artist that they have faith in. So it was beyond like a one off, it was a some type of um, you know, membership, you know, if they're yeah. able to relate to them on a not it doesn't have to be constant high level content, but just on both sides that they acknowledge their partnership. That's not it's not, not not a bad idea at all. Not a bad idea at all. I like it. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring that up with bring that up, up with the team. You know, and uh, but you know, it's just random ideas. You, you know, so speaking of this random ideas, what is like your short term and uh, long term goals? You know, for uh, Pledge Music. Um, short term goal is, is is to keep it great, to keep it um, uh, to keep it you know amazing and kind of you know its thing, and 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 to to not deviate from you know, just to never sacrifice on quality because things are growing quite big for us. Uh, you know, at the moment, and we need to we need to really just get mission focused on delivering amazing, amazing you know service to our to our um, artists, and also an amazing platform to the fans. And that's what that's what we're really focusing on right now. In the long term, my goal is is that every album comes out in this way. That every album has this experience. That every fan who consumes music in whatever way they choose to has this option. Because if they don't, then everybody's missing out, and I think that's a real shame. Because, I, I, you know, I look on the one hand at the fact that we're looking at you know either one percent growth or one percent decline in music sales every year, or sometimes even ten percent or twelve percent, whatever, whichever chart you want to believe. But what I also look at is is that there's up to two point six billion dollars in unmet demand. So you got to think to yourself, well, you know, if we tap into that unmet demand, then the music industry is saved, as it were, because artists can just carry on making great albums and touring. And, you know, it's to me, it's a real logical thing that the more this is done, the more it benefits everybody. And, you know, again, the, the, one of the founding principles of the company was always this, that, that nobody loses, everybody wins. 
And now as, you know, obviously the music industry is evolving, you know, um, we have you and your team providing solutions. And then uh, brands have actually stepped up too, such as uh, Green Label Sound of Mandu, which is kind of like a branded record label. What are your thoughts on those solutions? I think I think that you have to be very careful with them. One of the things that we've um, that we've you know uh, there's a certain subset of fans who don't mind brand interaction. There are other there are other the more hardcore fans actually really don't like it. Um, I have a very big I, find I have a very hard time buying personally. This is not for pleasure. Personally, I find it really hard to buy things that brands are involved in. Um, it, it clouds. Uh, the music for me, it kind of gets in the way, and um, whether that's right or wrong, it's a personal thing for me. Um, but like, I I have a hard time buying CDs that are in Starbucks. I look at them and I go, oh, oh. I get this. It's it's an instant gut reaction. There are, there are you know um, people on our team that feel totally the opposite. But I think that you got to watch out for associating yourself with something that isn't necessarily true or you uh, simply for the money. Because if you're doing that, it shows. And I've had it a few times where one of my favorite acts will be like doing a, a commercial for something they would never do. And I'm just like, oh, it's painful. It hurts my soul, you know. And I believe that I'm not alone. I know that I'm not, you know, your average consumer by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that um, there are different ways for bands to be involved, for brands to be involved that could be better served. As an example, what if instead of it being like, you know, hey, you know, uh, brand A represents, you know, is associating with this new band to do X, Y, and Z. What if we change it and we say, pledge here to be a part of the making of our new album. And for every dollar that we raise for our local charity, you know, Converse or whoever it is will donate, will, will, will match fund both the album and the charity. Then all of a sudden it checks every box because the brand's getting what they want, which is exposure and a tax write-off. The charity's getting what they want because they're getting money and they're getting exposure and the band gets exactly the same thing. It's just got to be looked at in a way where everybody wins because I don't think that the brand's intention is to help the artists so much as to you know use their influence. It's definitely a hot-button issue, but some may say that the brands are filling a gap so that musicians are able to function. But to be honest with you, here's what I would say is this why is there a gap that needs to be filled? If we're recognizing that, that, that the fan is being underserved, surely what we got to do is figure out how to serve them rather than sitting there and trying to get a brand to amplify the problem. You know what I mean? Because no. you know, all the band's doing is amplifying a, an existing problem. If you've got an artist that can't sell records on its own and then requires a brand to really get the awareness out there, how's that solving anything? You know what I mean? It's, oh, it's, definitely. It's, it's putting a Band-Aid over it. And, it, and it, let's, let's put it this way. Is it selling more Pepsi or is it selling more albums? And the answer is it's selling more soda. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that's really what it comes down to is, um, is if there's a problem, you can either go to the root of it and try and fix it or you can put a Band-Aid over the top of it and say, if we shove money at it, you know, bands don't need more, you know, bands of, of the size that are working with big brands don't need more money. They need more fans to buy more albums or be involved in a different way. So the exposure thing isn't necessarily the issue, I don't think. The issue is, is that you've got to bond the artist and the fan in a way that the fan would feel um, guilty for listening to, for, for stealing the music. As you did with the band where you, where you mentioned before, I listen to music on Groove Shack, I want to make sure you're getting paid. That's how we should have it. 
Now, if that band was massive and sponsored by a huge thing, and you saw them driving around in the, you know, the, the whatever it is soda company bus, you're going to think differently about that. They're just fine, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, you know, and and for me, like if I have to go to you know the 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 brand name arena to see the concert brought to you by phone company A and you know single company B in associate, you know, it's that endless thing. I'm like. What am I seeing here? You know, yeah. Even the name of the freaking place I'm going to see the band in has a brand attached to it. Like, and I think it's very hard for a lot of people, maybe even subconsciously, to bond with those artists that they would normally have um, have bonded with. No, it's a uh, no, it's a it's a it's a it's a ser- it's a ser- it's a serious issue, you know, um, because. Yeah, I had a, I I I wanted to give that ba- musician it's just twenty dollars, just say, hey man, you know, wanna help you, you know, not say he needs my help, but just to feel like the guilt, you know, you want to give back. And I, and I see you're saying that with the brand connections, you may not feel that same relationship, right? Well, yeah, I'm stealing money from, you know, a soda rock star, whatever it is, but not necessarily an artist that you feel connected to. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, lastly, um, last question, who are your heroes? Oh, it's quite a few. Um, uh, I would say, um, in terms of starting this company, Derek Sivers from CD Baby was a huge inspiration for me, mostly because he said, go build it, you know, just just build it, you will do it. Um, uh, musically speaking, um, I would say Michelle Ndegiocello will be one of my heroes. I think she's one of the most phenomenal artists ever. Um, Tom Waits, um, uh, David Hawkins, um, uh, you know, there's, there's many heroes in my life. Um, the, the, there was a gentleman by the name of Andrew Bentley who was an executive. Um, he was a music business guy, and he basically walked me through and mentored me through the creating of Pledge, and took so much time and effort to educate me in things that I had no idea about. And um, you know, and I think also, you know, in one sense, my hero is the is the artist who will sacrifice everything to do what they know has to be out there. Um, no, every day I see artists do things that are incredibly risky, that are incredibly, um, you know, bold, and 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 they do it against all the odds. And um, you know, so so in one sense, a lot of the people who use what we built are my heroes because they they've showed me not only that it was possible, and I and I was one of them. You know, I created the platform and launched it on my own, so I know that fear, and that's a big fear to get over. But the best part of it is, is that you know, there's a lot more safety in it than. Uh, than there ever used to be. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was very interesting, and uh, I look forward to seeing uh, the Pledge Music continue to grow and uh, be a success. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0. You can check me out at petercats.net, K-A-T-Z, and email me at catsfilms at gmail.com.